0: You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch at Calvary Chapel of Crook County as he teaches through the book of Joshua. If you have your Bibles with you, let's join Pastor Ryan now. We're continuing to study in Joshua. Tonight we'll be in Joshua chapter 6 if you have a Bible. If you don't have one, there's some in the back. And uh, Joshua's been a great book. I'm sure you guys have been uh, ministered to. and And really, Joshua is all about, as I kind of alluded to in my prayer, it 's all about entering into all that God would have for you as the children of Israel have now entered into the promised land after really four hundred years of waiting on this promise of god that that He was going to bring them into their own land in, in the land of promise the the land of canaan and of course we 're familiar with the fact that after they they left egypt and and after they uh, wandered in the desert for 40 years. The, the first generation that left Egypt, they actually died off in the, in the land of, of the desert there because they didn't believe the promise of God. And, and now this new generation under the leadership of Joshua is going to enter in and, and they're, uh, really told, look, it's, it's up to you as to what you possess. This has been done for you. This has been made available to you. And now you have to appropriate it by faith. And if you uh, will do that, then the sky's the limit on what you can uh, do with what God has made available. And I think that truth is so relevant to us that God has said to us, look, I've given you everything for a life of godliness. There, there's nothing that I've held back from you. And so a successful Christian life is not something that we have to strive toward. It's not something that we have to work really hard at. It's been made available to us. We just have to enter into it. And, and we, you guys, we work from a place of victory, not toward victory. And as they move out and, and they go to uh, take over these different cities and take over the land, the battle had already been won, as we're going to see tonight with Jericho. I mean, it's the most ridiculous way in which they take over this city. I mean, God couldn't have made it more laughable, right? To show them that it wasn't them. He didn't need them. And that's what he was making very clear. And God doesn't need us, he doesn't need our efforts, but he, he wants to involve us, like he did with Jericho in the people as they marched around. He he wanted to involve them, and he wants to involve us, and, and so he says, okay, go out and 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 take it by faith. And the Bible says in 1 John 5 4 that the victory is is really won in our life by faith. And so the battle, you guys, has already been won. We just have to, to make it real. We just have to appropriate it into our life. And there's so much that's been made available to us, and whether or not we we go and we take ownership of it is, is really up to us. And we actually have like a little map that, that I can show you here that shows you uh, what was... Given to the children of Israel, and then the the little that they actually uh, took ownership of, and they're having a little trouble getting it up there. So, um, we'll we'll look at that real quick here. So you see the red there? That is what was given to them. That was the, the land that was promised to them that could be theirs if if they wanted it. In the blue is what they took possession of. And so that gives you a, a little bit of a visual as to the little bit that they actually took. God said, this whole area is yours, but after some time and And a lot of work, they thought, you know what, this is good enough. We have enough. And and they were content with that. And we talked about contentment on Sunday. Well, there's one area in our life that we shouldn't be content in, and that is our relationship with Jesus. We should always be wanting more. We should always be wanting to draw closer to Him and never be complacent. I don't think contentment is the right word for that. It's more like complacent that we're just satisfied with where we're at. And and God says, man, I have so much more for you. And so that's a great visual illustration of that, that they did not enter into all that God had for them. They they didn't enter in to all that was made available. They settled for mediocrity. And so tonight as we look at Joshua chapter 6, we're going to see the destruction of Jericho. It's a very familiar story to us. I'm sure that you've heard it in Sunday school or maybe you watched the Veggie Tales movie uh the story of Joshua. you know I'm sure it's familiar to you on some level but as we as we make our way through the text tonight i want us to kind of take note of four different things first we're going to see the command and and that was what god told them to do and and as we made mention of it is sort of a ridiculous military strategy that that god's going to employ and it, but it's a command and and he expected obedience is and and that's what we also see is is the obedience on their part We also see the promise that was given to Rahab and to her family. You remember that from chapter 2. That whoever was found in Rahab's house because of her faithfulness to the spies, that they would be saved. And so we're going to see the promise come to fruition. And then lastly, there's a curse uh, put upon those that would try to rebuild Jericho. And so first of all, the command, verses 1 through 5. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. Now you remember from chapter 2 that the reason for this is because they were fearful of what God was going to do. They had heard the prophecies. They, They now knew that the children of Israel were entering into their land and they became fearful because they knew all of the stories. They heard about the Red Sea parting. They heard about the the rock that followed the children of Israel all around and, and had water flowing forth from it. They heard about the cloud by day and the fire by night. They heard about the manna every day. They heard about how God had vanquished their enemies even in the desert and how they had won victories over military forces and nations much stronger than they. And so the people of Jericho were afraid. And that is why they shut themselves into their city. They, they closed the gates. They locked themselves in. And as chapter 2 tells us, their, their hearts were, were melting like wax in, in the fear of God. And I wonder about the church today. I wonder about our influence on our community and on our world that when people look at us, do they see God? And does it create some kind of a reaction in them? Does it create a, a fear of God? Does it create an an awareness, a cognizance of God, or do they just look at us and see nothing that would be um, any different than their own life? Does 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 the world look on at the church and just see a bunch of people who? who need that, but it isn't really good for them. Do they see something in us that would create a hunger, a thirst, a fear possibly? And I'm not saying that we should create fear in people in that sense, but but that our lives should point people to God, which would create fear in them, in, in their relationship to him, that they would understand that they need him, Do people have any kind of of a reaction to our life? Are we being an influence? As Jesus said, are we the salt of the earth? And salt has influence. Salt creates thirst. Do we create thirst in people for God? Clearly the children of Israel did with the people of Jericho. There was a real reaction. Do we, does our church, do our lives create some kind of a reaction? And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. This is interesting because God speaks in the past tense to Joshua. I have given Jericho into your hand. And I'm sure Joshua took note of that. That it was not... Hey, I'm going to give it into your hand. Hey, if you do this and this and this, I will. No, I have already done it. It's already yours. And that promise is true for us too, that that God has already made everything for a life of godliness available to us. He's already done it. He already won the victory at the cross, and that's why He said, It is finished. Probably the three most powerful words in the English language and and in, in the scripture. It is finished. The work has been done. And you shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times and the priest shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn and when you hear the sound of the trumpet that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up every man straight before him. And so God tells them, The first six days, they're all to march around the city one time and then go back and and hang out, go to sleep, whatever. Just march around the city once. And they were to take the priests and they should have seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And so the ark of the covenant was to to be going out before them as well and they were to blow these, these ram's horns which if you know anything about the, the way that the Jews were instructed to do their battles from, from our study in the law from the first five books of the Old Testament, you know that this is completely whacked here. None of this is how it was supposed to be. None of this. In, in fact, it couldn't have been more opposite of what God had told them uh, to do in times of war. First of all, the priests, the Levites, were not to be a part of war. They were to stay back and pray and, and take care of the temple, and and, and they were to, to do their priestly thing. They weren't to be a part of the war. Uh, also, they were, weren't to use ram's horns. They were to use silver trumpets when they went to war. Also, the Ark of the Covenant was not to be a part of war. And you remember later in Second uh, Samuel I believe they, they, they tried to use the Ark of the Covenant and not only did they lose the battle but they also lost the Ark and it was uh, you know, lost from, from them for quite some time because the Ark wasn't to be a part of war and so all these things that God uses that normally weren't associated with war and I think the message for us is that God is way more concerned with our heart and our obedience than He is with rules and regulations. See, somehow we we get into this legalistic kind of regiment with God, and God isn't so much concerned with the rules as He is our heart. And I think that, that was a message for them here. Look, it isn't about all of the rules it's about what I'm asking you to do at this present time and, and I want you to obey me in that. And it would seem ridiculous to them. I mean, it seems ridiculous even to us. Okay, you're going to go destroy Jericho and what I want you to do is just march around at one time for six days. And then on the seventh day, you're to go around and, and then you're going to blow the trumpets and you're going to shout and all the walls are going to fall down. And it says that in verse 6, Then Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And so now Joshua is going to do what God asked him to do. No questions, no argument No, well, Lord, we're not supposed to use the priests, or we're not supposed to use those trumpets, or what what about the ark, you know? And, and, And Lord, you're wanting us to do this in seven days? I mean, what about the Sabbath? We can't march around the city on the seventh day. That would be going against the Sabbath. Joshua doesn't argue about any of that stuff because he realizes that God is more concerned with his obedience and with his heart. And right away he calls the priests, he says to them, Take up the ark and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city and let him who is armed advance before the ark of the Lord. So it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets. And the rear guard came after the ark while the priest continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people saying, you shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout. Then you shall shout. And so what God is asking them to do is not only ridiculous, but it would take patience on their part. Because can you imagine waiting a week And thinking to yourself, wait a second, we're giving them an opportunity to go on the offensive. We better just go in there and take this into our own hands. We better do something because they're going to figure out that we're waiting on them. And they're going to get the idea that here's an opportunity to go on the offensive. We need to take the first step. Waiting a week is not a good idea, just standing out here every day, marching around. You remember in the Veggie Tales how the little peas were up on the wall making fun of them, throwing Slurpees down on them? I think that's kind of, you know, childlike in in imagination, but there's probably some truth to that. That they were probably wondering, what are these people thinking about us? Maybe they were on the wall making fun of them after the third or fourth day. Kind of like, what are you guys doing? What's going on here? Maybe after the third or fourth day, the people at Jericho started to think, you know what, there's nothing going to happen. This is cool. These people are lunatics. They think they're just going to march around the city and that's going to wipe us out. That's going to destroy us. And I'm sure there was some apprehension on the part of the Israelites. How about on the priests? They weren't trained for war. They were probably thinking, what in the world are we doing out here? This is crazy. And yet, this is what God had asked them to do. What is it that God's asking you to do? That may seem crazy, that may seem ridiculous. It all started when they entered the land and the first thing God asked them to do is for all the men to be circumcised. And we talked about how that was just ridiculous in terms of military strategy. And so here they are again and, and they're, they're marching around and they're blowing the trumpets but God also said that they were not to say a word. And so not only would it take patience but it would take discipline. Can you imagine the amount of people that were marching around the city and they weren't to make a noise? You know, you ever play the silent game with your kids? You know, who can who can not say anything the longest? You know, it only takes like a minute and somebody has said something. Can you imagine going around the, the city every day with all these people and not making a sound, not making a noise? This would take discipline and and I think that in order for us to, to enter into all that God would have for us, it does take patience. It does take discipline. Now Joshua commanded the people saying, you shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout. then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city, going around it once. Then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp, or basically they went to sleep. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. Then seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, but the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord, "...while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days." And so they, they went around the city one time. They blew the trumpets one time for six days. "...but it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early, about the dawning of the day, and marched around the city seven times in the same manner." On that day only, they marched around the city seven times. In the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who were with her in her house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take off, take of the accursed things, and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated or set apart as holy to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great voice that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. Now, I think the first thing that comes to our mind as we read about this and we see their obedience and in doing exactly what God had prescribed and and we see that it that it worked that this ridiculous strategy and this plan worked because God said it would but the first thing that might come to your mind and, and I think certainly comes to to skeptic's mind is why did God destroy all of these people clearly there were children clearly there were innocent people Well, here's the thing, and we've talked about this before, but if, if you look back into Genesis and you see the promise given to Abraham for this land, the promise that they would enter in and they would have their own land, 400 years previous to this, God gave these people 400 years to repent. All of the time in Egypt, all of the time when the children of Israel were in slavery, Forty years in the wilderness wandering around. And now even up until the last minute. Up until the last time. God gave them even more opportunity as they marched around the city. I think there was a plan in that. That God was telling the the children, the people of Jericho. That. That. He was giving them an opportunity to repent as the people marched around the city. They would look out and they would say, look, God is going to destroy this city. He's already made it clear. And here's our opportunity to repent. Here's our opportunity to go to the house of Rahab. God had made provision for them. And yet they didn't heed nor take advantage of that. And so when people say, well, man, this is really harsh, this, how could a loving God do that? Well, here, there was plenty of opportunity for repentance, just like God has given people today opportunity to repent. And, and every day that he doesn't return is an opportunity for people to repent. And, and I think this is very clear here, and I think it's part of the reason why they marched around the city. There was, there was an opportunity for repentance. They were also told not to take of any of the treasure. They weren't to take of any of the silver or gold. They, they were to take it and put it into the treasury of the Lord. And I think that's interesting because Jericho is the first city that they destroyed, right? It's the first city that they Went into in the promised land. And this first city, God told them He wanted them to give Him all of the goods, all of the money, the first fruits. And I think that dovetails with what we talked about on Sunday. How that God wants us to give sacrificially to Him, and God wants us to give from the first fruits, not our leftovers, not after we've done everything that we want to do, and paid all of our bills, and then we say, okay, Lord, here's a dollar left. We give him from the first fruits, and I think that principle is is being borne out here with the fact that they weren't to take any of the treasure for themselves from Jericho, the first city. Later, they were allowed to take treasure for themselves. And we're going to see that, that this command is going to be a big deal in the life of a guy named Achan and his family. And we're going to look at that uh, next week in chapter 7. And they utterly destroyed this entire city. Everything that God said would happen did happen. Even though it was the most ridiculous way in which God brought his promise to pass, it did come to pass. And God is looking for our obedience, you guys. Even in the most ridiculous command, he wants our obedience. And he will bring his promise to pass. And what's really awesome about this is that there's application for us in, in this, this idea that the wall fell down. And I think there's all kinds of walls that get built up in our life, maybe relationally, maybe between uh ourselves and the lord maybe there's walls of doubt maybe there's there's all there's walls of of need in our life and god says if you'll just trust me i can take care of that i can remove that i can cause that to crumble if you'll trust me and and maybe tonight god is revealing to you a wall that has been built up in your life. Maybe it's between another believer and, and maybe God wants to take that wall and completely remove it so that there is no division. Maybe there's a wall that's been built up in your life that's separating you from all that God would have for you. And and God doesn't want that to exist anymore. God wants that to be completely wiped out of your life so that you're not missing out on what he has for you. And as we talked about, if we'll just trust him by faith, he will take care of that situation in our life. If we'll believe him for that. In verses 22 through 25, we see the promise. The promise that was given to the two spies that if they, it was given to Rahab through the two spies, that if they would go to the house of Rahab, whoever was there, they would be protected from this judgment. And you remember that from chapter 2. That whoever was in Rahab's house would be protected. And, and God is going to keep his promise. And the Bible tells us that, that God has given us many great and precious promises. And, and he plans on keeping every one of them. Any promise that God has given, he will keep it. And, and maybe you're a person who doesn't keep your promises. Well, know this, that God does. And as much as you are a flake or a liar or a person that can't be trusted, God is the exact opposite. And God wants to work integrity into your life. God wants to work... Um, honor and dignity and being a person of your word into his life because he's a God of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. But as much as you see deception in your life, God is truth and he wants to work that truth in you. Or as much as you've seen deception in your life, maybe you grew up with parents that promised you the moon and delivered very little of that or none of that maybe you've had relationships with with people husbands wives that that promised you things first of all their devotion the vows that they made and maybe those vows were broken and you don't have a lot of trust for people maybe you've been burned and yet god says to you that he keeps his promises that he'll keep Every one of his promises that he's given. Just as he did to Rahab here. And Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house. And remember that God kept his promise to a prostitute. To a woman who was not living an honorable life before him. Go into the harlot's house and from there bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And you remember how they were saved. They had to hang the scarlet cord out of the window. A picture of the cross. And as they, by faith, hung that scarlet cord out of their window, so too by faith we trust in, in the scarlet cord that runs throughout the entire Bible. That sin entered the world through Adam. It's passed on to each one of us. And yet as we trust Jesus and, and what he did for us, spilling his blood for us, that we have eternal life and that we'll be saved from the judgment of God. And and so there's a really neat picture here uh, with Rahab and, and her household. What's interesting is we know from chapter two that Rahab's house sat on the wall. And so when they destroyed the wall, her house, that section of the wall that her house sat upon would have been the only part of the wall that didn't get destroyed. Again, it was like God was showing them that he was in complete control, that Every part of the wall fell down except that part. And he kept his promise. And and he'll do that in our life, you guys. And we don't have to try to figure it out. I'm sure that they they may have even been worrying about that. Well, how's this going to work? If the wall's going to fall down, isn't it going to destroy Rahab and her household too? We've got to figure this out. We've got to prop it up. We've got to support that part of the wall because when it falls down... You know, God's promise isn't going to come to pass. And can you imagine? Can you just sort of visualize them going through that, thinking about how they were going to cover for God and how they were going to make it happen? And we do that too, don't we? We've got to defend the Lord. We've got to make sure that that His word comes to pass. And God says, look, I can handle this. It, It may not... Seem legitimate to you. It may not seem like something that that's going to happen, but I will do it and I don't need your help. Just do what I'm asking you to do. He didn't ask them to support that part of the wall. He didn't ask them to fortify it. He didn't ask them to stand there and make sure that they took care of Rahab. He was going to take care of that. He just said, march around the city. Maybe right now you're kind of, you know, running yourself ragged trying to uh, make sure that God's promises come to pass. And God says, just trust me. I, I don't need your help. Do what I'm asking you to do. Be obedient to me and I'll take care of the rest. And so we see this promise coming to pass in in the life of Rahab. And it also tells us that that she lived in Israel uh, even to that very day, which tells us the, that the book of Joshua was, was written during the time of Joshua and, and not years later as some purport that these stories were, were just the imagination of Jewish people later on and that they tried to, you know, make uh, things seem better than they really were and they tried to, you know, fancify it. No, this, this happened and was written and recorded at the same time that it happened and then at the end of the chapter, we see the curse. Then Joshua charged them at the, that time saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn and his youngest. He shall set up its gates." So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout all the country. And, uh, we see this, this curse actually uh, coming to pass in 1 Kings chapter 16. It, it tells us that um, this man with his sons rebuilt Jericho and, and they were cursed as a result. And so uh, the word of God came to pass and, and God wanted this city to be just laid in waste. He didn't want it rebuilt. And, and maybe there's a message in that for us that, that the walls that God wants to destroy in our life, the things that we've built up that are maybe separating us from Him or separating relationships, that He doesn't want us to rebuild those things. That He doesn't want anything uh, to, to be allowed to come back into our life for those things to be re- rebuilt once again. Otherwise, it will bring a curse. It will bring destruction. And so, a great chapter for us, a lot of application. Clearly, God is more concerned with our heart and with our obedience than He is with rules, than He is with regulations, and that He is with things that make sense to us from a human perspective. And the Bible tells us that God uses and chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and God uses a lot of foolish things and God may be asking you to do foolish things right now that don't make any sense to the world the world looks on and says you know that that's really a foolish thing that you're doing why would you do that because this is what God's showing me to do and he's going to make it happen he's given me promises God wants our obedience, you guys, as we talked about with Saul on Sunday. And Saul thought it was so great that he was going to offer sacrifice. And God told him, I'm more concerned with your obedience than I am sacrifice. God wants our obedience. He wants us to do it the way he set it up. And maybe you started off well, maybe you started marching around the city, but after the third or fourth day you grew tired of that and you started taking things into your own hands and you're wondering, why? why isn't it working? Why aren't the walls falling down? And God, I think, says to us tonight, because you didn't do it the way I told you to. So go back, start over, do what I've asked you to do and watch me work. And we're going to see as we move through Joshua that, that this is all the Lord. That he's already set this up as we see in, in verse 2 that he had already given Jericho into their hands. God has already given you victory. And you just need to enter into it. When, when you go home tonight, when you go to work tomorrow, when you enter into those difficulties and those trials and those struggles, when that temptation comes into your life, know that God has already given you victory over that if you choose to walk in it. Unfortunately, many of us are like the children of Israel. We settle for the blue area. We settle for that little piece of victory. And God says, Man, I've got so much more for you. An abundant life, eternal life that starts today. Sometimes it seems like as Christians we have this doomsday mentality. And I, I even hear people say, like it's all gonna burn and you know God's just gonna, you know, take it and destroy it and wipe it out and and, and Christians just act as if the, the, the earth really doesn't matter and nothing about this life is important. And, and I think the opposite is true. All of this has been given to us for a blessing. God wants us to be stewards of it. And I'm not talking about environmentalism. I'm saying that this life right now is important. That we aren't waiting for something else. That we aren't on this doomsday mission to finally get to heaven where then we can really enter into what God has for us. No, I think he has that right now. And heaven is going to be amazing and we ought to be keeping our eyes fixed on eternity, certainly. But in the midst of that, don't miss out on what God wants to do in your life today. Don't miss out on the relationship that God wants to have with you today. Christians sometimes act as if they're, they're so excited to, to meet the Lord and to spend time with Him in heaven, and yet they're not taking advantage of the opportunity they have to do that right at the moment. And if we're not excited to meet with the Lord right now, and hear from Him right now, and worship Him right now, what makes us think it's going to be all that great when we get to heaven? If it's not a priority today, why will it be a priority then? Eternal life starts today, you guys. It starts right now. That's what Jesus has made available to us. Let's enter into all that he has for us. Let's be a part of what he's doing. Let's influence this community as the Israelites influence Jericho. Let's influence our world instead of the world influencing us. Let's stand and pray together. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.